0: Welcome everyone to another episode of Seaweed Brain. Today, there's a lot going on, it's very rich. We have an epic battle in the House of Hades, we have an epic battle in Tartarus, we have sacrifice, we have parentage, we have interesting ideas about puberty. So stick around.
1: All righty! I'm so excited to be here today and to be joined again by our dear friend, Caitlin. Hi, Caitlin.
2: Hello! It's so good to be back. I'm so excited. It has a baby!
1: Oh, I feel like these are some emotionally heavy chapters, so oh, I yeah. want to keep the mood light until it's not anymore. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you gotta balance it out.
1: Yeah, how have you been since we last chatted?
2: Well, you last spoke to me at the beginning of House of Hades, I'm pretty sure. So, a lot has happened. First and foremost, I moved houses. So, we actually had to reschedule this because that was my moving day on the Tuesday. And I was like, I need to get out first. So, let me do that and then I'll get back to you. And I'm here. I'm sort of settled in. I've already shown my background. It's like a little bit of a mess, but it is what it is. Apart from that, you know, like, as I said before, I was in like my final year of university now I'm doing my final class and it's going to be an internship I'm waiting I'm doing an interview tomorrow actually for the internship so like let's hope I get it
1: yay <laughs> yeah it's like
2: it's really funny because it's a social media marketing internship and I was like I kind of do that but like I don't want to show you proof because the proof is the Percy Jackson account <laughs> <laughs> like i do because i've been doing it for years but it's like yeah (laughs) that's
1: embarrassing (laughs) no but you should show them because that is a legitimate skill like the way that you have marketed your own content is absolutely a thing
2: yeah so um that's Tomorrow, and then apart from that, it's just like waiting on finishing this class and then graduation.
1: Woohoo! Oh, well, we yeah. appreciate you joining us as you are nearing the final stretch of your phase of higher education.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't miss this. I would not miss this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, these are some special chapters. I'm so happy they to be are. here. I'm I'm really glad that we get to do this right now. Okay, great. Yeah, that was a wonderful. You really nailed all these bullet points that you wrote out here.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, <was> like, <laughs> I I need to I need to set this straight because like I haven't been online in so long. So if people miss me, this is where they're gonna find me.
1: Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> Shall we take it away? If you would like to begin, Carter.
0: So, we just left off with the physical manifestation of Tartarus appearing, threatening Percy and Annabeth. Oh fuck! That was real. And then on the other side, with our topside crew, I guess, we um, just reunited with Leo after making our way back from North Africa. Those were Jason's chapters that you may remember. So with that, we are currently sailing into Greece to finally make our way to the house of Hades. And we're, of course, in Frank's perspective at this point. We're in Frank's perspective, and Frank is thinking about Ancestry.
2: (laughs) As you do. I mean...
1: Who wants to read this yeah. paragraph? I went to the trouble of literally typing out in this Google Doc.
2: I wouldn't be able to pronounce like half of that.
1: That's true. There are a lot of
2: names. Yeah, I'm just like, hmm, let's not offend like half the internet.
1: Sounds like it's Carter's responsibility.
0: <laughs> I can just pronounce them wrong. I don't care. Um, exactly. <laughs> Frank was hoping for fireworks, or at least a big sign that read, Welcome home. More than 3,000 years ago, his Greek ancestor, good old <laughs> Periclemias, Pericle- Pericle- we're going to go with that. I'm going to take it from the top. <laughs> His Greek ancestor, good old Periclemius, the shapeshifter, had sailed east with the Argonauts. Centuries later, Periclemius' descendants had served in the Eastern Roman legions. Then, through a series of misadventures, the family had ended up in China, finally immigrating to Canada in the 20th century. Now, Frank was back in Greece, which meant that the Zhang family had finally completely circled the globe. Full we'll moment. Yes. That is a recap of everything we've been told previously about Frank's genealogy.
1: I got kind of hung up on this paragraph as I was doing my reread of this today. And I fell into a hole of like all of those websites that show you maps of the Roman Empire and like the (laughs) Roman Empire. Because I was like, does it make sense? Sure. But I feel like sitting with this for a couple books and now circling back to it from Son of Neptune, doing a little bit more research about this paragraph climbing climbing uh, character <laughs> that guy the child of <laughs> poseidon thing where he gets his shape-shifting thing from this character was an original argonaut mm-hmm. i just felt like it makes a lot of sense looking back how rick wanted to include this aspect of the argonaut myth in the story of jason and the argo 2 and wanted to have a shape-shifting character but it would have been I think a lot cooler if instead of this Rome to the eastern regions of Rome to China to Canada back thing that Rick could have just said like maybe this roman demigod who sailed with the Argo 2 who had shape shifting powers was actually chinese the whole time
0: and,
1: like <laughs> came over from china and could have used this as a moment to reference him being a demigod or a figure from a, a portion of chinese mythology because there is yeah that would have
2: connected to like uh, Rick Riordan presents as well like that entire like and just in general just growing it especially because of we all know his issues with diversity so I think it would have been nice even if he like had tried yeah yeah.
1: there isn't any reason that it had to be like this Roman man traveled to China and his descendants from China are now Frank Shang it could have been this uh, Chinese demigod hero happened to be fighting for the Roman Empire could have been Chinese <laughs> yeah happened to be on the Argo too and that was my ancestor And there's not like there's any lack of Eastern mythologies regarding shapeshifters and shapeshifting powers. Yeah, exactly. So that would have been cool. And that was just, I landed on that as something that makes me feel a little bit more peaceful about this whole thing.
2: I feel like Frank's character was originally white. And then he just went, "No, you know, it'd be like a fun diversity idea if I made him Chinese. And then he was like, okay, we're going to backpedal just a little bit, give him shape shifting and see how we can connect it to make him less white. And then we ended up with (laughs) him.
0: (laughs) I, yeah, I don't know. Where, where, where does that leave us? Frank gives us this whole thing because Rick, I guess, needs to remind us about his whole biography because, God forbid, we forget where Frank got his powers. Um, and- um, The white people. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and that leads us into a conversation between Hazel and Frank. They're just sort of debriefing, mostly on Leo. Hazel is very sure, like, oh, Leo met somebody. Leo's different now. Frank what? notices
1: that he's different frank is like he's no longer thirsty af he's just like acting like a normal boy and hazel's like well it's because he met someone and frank is like i don't get it and hazel's like you don't have to get it
2: that's not at all how that
1: conversation went this i just is made that my up. note sorry
2: here is my note that i wrote here right under this because i reread this and i was like i remember reading this when i was like 14 oh probably mm-hmm. around that age and i was like you know what i don't get it either <laughs> because <laughs> i don't know about you like um, maybe I'm just oblivious in a general sense, but like, I, I can't pick up often when people like me, let alone when people like other people. Maybe it's more obvious. Mm. Maybe I'm just dumb. But is it like some demigod power, like a super intuition? Like, oh, you know what? They, they're a thing. They're a thing. Like in Annabeth, in one of her chapters in Mark of Athena, she like instantly picks up that Frank and Hazel are a thing. And it makes sense for Annabeth because she has like spent her entire life being strategic and analyzing people. And for Piper, it would make more sense, you know, because of her background with Aphrodite and also just being a people watcher. And same with Reyna. But like Hazel, she's like thirteen. You came from like the what? The nineteen whatevers? Like what? Do, no offense. <laughs> what do you know? You what do you know? Why are you so special that you're like he met someone? Okay.
0: Like,
1: Kayla's <laughs> really like, I don't
0: get it. I don't explain it. To me. Make it. it
2: make sense.
0: I feel like in the context of this book, none of them have access to therapy. So if somebody comes back behaving differently, then you would not leap to a healthy explanation for that. You might just be like, oh, well, I mean, what are the good things that are available to happen to Debbie God's? You know, like, must be love. I guess it must be a, a romantic partner because it certainly is not a therapist or a healthy relationship with a parent so
1: um i was thinking that hazel picked up on it right away because leo's not flirting with her anymore
0: also very that but like that's the thing where it's like oh like if this were a normal person i would like to believe that if someone stops flirting with another person we would have to pause and be like maybe it's not just that they have an outlet for that maybe they just looked inside and were like i should not do this anymore just as a first principles thing
2: maybe it's human decency because leo is like 15 and hazel is 13 so maybe he was like oh you know it would be a good idea if I stopped hitting on this
0: 13 year old kid you know who has
1: a boyfriend too
0: who has a boyfriend but nobody even considers this does not occur to anyone to to process that possibility
1: <laughs> I actually feel like I'm generally very good at picking up on like things like this especially when it's like a group dynamic and two people start getting like a little too close or like some or like but
2: that's the thing though but they don't know each other like I mentioned this later, like here in this like little catch up, like between the quests, like this is the part where, you know, typically they would be interacting more and you have those little interactions, but like, it's not enough to show that they know each other. Like I would let this slip if I knew that Hazel and Leo were closer and would actually like interact outside. Like the only interactions we have of them is like Leo hitting on her or like, I'm doing something that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, Frank is picking up on and is like he's seeing it in a, like a roast tinted, like oh they're flirting with each other uh that's my girlfriend get away from her type of thing but like they're not close enough for you to real to sh- to should be able to pick up on it if that makes sense.
1: Yep, totally. All right, from here uh Frank goes down to Coach Hedge's room. This is a little interlude. We find out officially that Coach Hedge actually married Melly back before the Argo 2 sailed, which we didn't officially know about yet, and also that Melly is pregnant. Good for her. Yeah, and the sad part is that she quit her job in LA, is what Coach Hedge says, which is such a cute way of putting it, and that she moved to Camp Half-Blood because they thought it would be safer. No, it's not. Uh-oh. So he's been freaking out the whole time, and we're supposed to assume that this is why Coach Hedge has been so like weird.
2: But he always was.
1: And grumpy. So. But he, that's, kind of, that's kind of just his personality. He's just quirky like that. <laughs> yeah, there's also a fun little backstory that when he was a young Seeker, the first kid that he found was Clarice.
0: That's cool. Which is wild because Clarice is not that old. So what, the, what was he doing before that? I don't know.
1: Coaching Little League baseball.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Alexa played Little League by Conan Gray.
1: <laughs> Frank is kind of... You want to take this card?
0: <laughs> yeah, Frank and Leo also have a little debrief. You might remember that when Leo was on Calypso's island, he found out that Calypso could make this fireproof cloth. He was like, oh, can you can you make this bag as well? And he finally gives the fireproof bag to Frank, the magic bag. What a moment for them, I guess. Apparently. We needed some bonding between these two people before we could close out the book because there was bad blood, because Leo used to be at the Hazel. But now, as a way of completing the Leo is no longer in the Hazel of it all, we also need to have reconciliation between these two people. That looks like this. That looks like specifically Leo giving Frank a solution to this, his largest weakness, his most giant problem, etc., etc.
1: And not only that, but then Frank trusting Leo enough to light the bag on fire in front of him to make sure that it works. Sure, why not?
2: <laughs> sure, why not?
1: And then, very importantly, Frank decides to hold the pouch himself instead of putting the burden of his life on Hazel. Big moment, yeah. big moment. I love to see that. I think that. I
2: quite like that because it's like, we'll go on to talk about it a bit more later. The arc of Frank uh this entire book is it's finally coming to a closing. I'll have some things to say about his other changes. But yeah. <laughs> this I quite liked this because you know, he's taking charge of it himself. Which is, you know, I feel like what he should have been doing and not leaving it in his girlfriend's hands. You know, come on, that's flags, guys.
0: He's
1: like, before the final battle, I just feel like I need to take this into my own hands. And I would do the same thing because I would be like going into like a fight, like only I trust me to hold this. <laughs> like
2: <laughs> I would never do it in the first place. No. I would never let anyone hold that in the exactly. first place. Exactly.
1: No, I only trust myself. Absolutely exactly. not. And also, I wouldn't want to, like, if somebody else, you know, accidentally messed up, I don't want to blame them for murdering me. <laughs> if, like, my own clumsiness is what <laughs> takes me down, then that's fine. It should be me. It should be me ending me. Yeah, absolutely. Say it, Caitlin.
2: We get the titular moment! And whoop, whoop, he whoop, whoop, whoop. Said we're heading to, like, the House of Hades or something, and I'm like, ah. Yeah, and it wasn't in the notes, and I feel like everyone should know that I wrote down that it's time for the titular moment. And I'm so happy that I get to say it. You nailed it. (laughs) Yes, I did. We're (laughs) heading
1: in the direction of the House of Hades. We're actually like hovering the Argo 2 above the river Acheron at this point, which gives me goosebumps because Rick does this great little moment with the dialogue where he's like, Hazel, I thought the Acheron was in the underworld, and Nico replies, it is, but its headwaters are in the mortar world. That river below us, eventually it flows underground straight into the realm of Pluto or Hades, which is, if you'll remember, when Annabeth and Percy were jumping out of the mansion of night, they like jumped over the river Acheron. So it's just like so cool how they're all like they're converging and they're getting really close to one another. It's very exciting.
2: It's like you can feel the tension building up. It's like, it's amazing. This is like, yeah, this is yeah. an amazing movie. Oh, Please, I'm so excited for the
1: show. Oh. So excited for when I'm 30 years old and the Disney Plus series. <laughs> yeah, that's there's pretty much it. Like <laughs> the Acheron is a real river in Greece. It's also like beautiful. Yeah, it's
2: so pretty, isn't it? Like the river of pain or something. Like, jeez,
1: it is. I mean, that's
2: symbolic, though. If it's beautiful, but it's called pain. You know, mm. there's some symbolism there. You
1: feeling all right, Caitlin? Okay. <laughs>
2: no, it's been a long couple weeks. <laughs>
1: Uh, oh yeah so you know they're about to like descend essentially to the house of hades coach hedge decides to stay behind on the ship for obvious reasons he's kind of at this point avoiding all danger but i guess someone needs to babysit festus maybe does festus need babysitting at this point No. no the rest of the kids head for the ruins with nico wielding the trauma scepter at the front of it all they get there. They eat the barley cakes that they got from Trip many moons ago. Was that, that was like the was that even in this book?
0: Yeah, yeah. that's um, Venice that with was... Frank. Oh my god! Yeah, that feels when like, you like got books turned it into go. corn. Yeah, it was I thought, a while ago. Iconic.
1: <laughs> it's going to protect them from the deadly poison that they have to drink when they enter into the House of Hades. So similarly to this little River Acheron twisting, the House of Hades itself isn't like a quote unquote real place that you can go to like many of the places we've gone to in this book specifically. So this is what Rick says. The House of Hades is below us, Nico assured him. But Hazel's right. These upper levels are much newer. When the archaeologists first excavated this site, they thought they'd found the necromantian. Then, is that how you say that? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Then they realized the ruins were too recent, so they decided it was the wrong spot. They were right the first time; they just didn't dig deep enough.
2: Ooh,
1: that also gives me goosebumps.
2: The parallels—I just realized this now. I should have picked it up earlier, but like the parallels with Battle of the Labyrinth. Hello. Mm Mm-hmm. I think we mentioned it. You mentioned it in a previous episode. That's why I'm remembering.
1: But. There are many parallels. I was going to say parallels to national treasure, but that's
0: (laughs) (laughs) why. The the whole idea of the Necromantian and the reason why they had to get the barley cakes is because in order to be there, you're supposed to be kind of dead. In order to be kind of dead, they have to not only eat the barley cakes, they also have to consume the poison so they can be in that weird subliminal in-between space. And um, (laughs) when they get there, Nico says, quote, you asked me about trust. And taking risks well here you go son of jupiter how much do you trust me frank wasn't sure what nico was talking about but jason didn't hesitate he took the cup and drank
2: <laughs> it's the way that like, nico, nico and jason are just there and then frank's in the background and he's like got the, the cup there and he's
1: like what is happening <laughs> it's also the way that nico is in a completely Shit. different play nico is in a different movie a different genre constantly oh my God. frank is watching a sitcom and nico is truly playing king lear at, at this
0: it's like succession where like most of the actors are like oh this is a comedy and then one of them is like no this is a serious melodrama no are you referencing the jeremy
1: strong new yorker article that took yes! twitter by Did storm this the week jeremy
0: strong new yorker article it's so funny Yes. I <sighs> I love this. I relate to this moment a lot. Definitely me as a 14 year old did this many times, just like aggressively <laughs> attacked random people around me very dramatically. And then the response was just like, literally, I don't what? care. Sure. Yes, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Do you trust me with
2: your life? Uh, sure.
0: <laughs> oh, yikes. High school. <laughs> yeah,
1: yikes! High school is pretty much it.
0: Anyway, it's delightful. Nico's a queen.
1: <laughs> From this point on, the dead are stronger than the living.
0: Dun, dun, dun. Metal, metal. Launch into
1: it.
2: From like here, we get like that beautiful parallel. I love the parallels it has with having this chapter. I don't know how many like chapters after, but it's like right after deathness, like right after a person on the best goes through the process of becoming yeah left. like they're becoming pretty much dead like and it's so beautiful and look good job good <laughs> freaking job for doing
1: this because it is like astounding oh this is why this is the best book it's so satisfying when you have like these two groups converging on the same point but to get to that point they have to go about things in like a similar but different way so like they drink the death poison and percy and yeah. Beth, like become the death mist and they're coming to meet in this like in-between space it's so exciting and satisfying
0: and with that it's time to fight all right um we have been waiting it coming for it. it's our big act three brawl um, mm-hmm. is there that much we have to say about this i guess the primary thing that we're looking at here is the ghost army that they're trying to summon with the scepter of Emperor Die, Empress Die. We're all trying to use the scepter. We knew that Nico was going to be part of it, but we also assumed that the other part of it was supposed to be the leader of the Legion, right? Because these are Roman soldiers that we're trying to get to come into battle. And yet there are performance issues. Not everything is going well, um, as Carter we thought. Carter. Would go. Carter. performance issues someone is not performing as they thought that they would i don't know how else to phrase that jason is trying to command the army and it's not really working that is what is going on here maybe that's going to be the only thing that makes it past the edit god bless
2: (laughs) no i'll 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 give it a list of jason's problems um, he has performance issues.
1: No, it's true. It's true. Jason's out here trying to command the army and they're like not listening to him. Nico is also trying, but Nico's too Greek. And so that's not working. Meanwhile, the earthborn, the cyclopses, the hellhounds, the telekines they're all closing in on them. Quote, the truth hit him. Jason wasn't quite Roman anymore. His time at Camp Half-Blood had changed him. Raina recognized that. Apparently, so did the undead legionnaires. If Jason no longer gave off the right sort of vibe or aura of a Roman leader, dot, 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 dot. Good for him. Yeah, wait, Caitlin, do you want to read? It's on, in my book, it's page 508.
2: Oh, yes. Okay. (laughs) My rank, Frank realized. All these monsters are rank, Piper yelled, stabbing a wild centaur. No, Frank said. I'm only a centurion. Jason cursed in Latin. He means he can't control a whole legion. He's not of high enough rank. Nico swung his black sword at another griffin. Well then, promote him. Frank's mind was sluggish. He didn't understand what Nico was saying. Promote him? How? Jason shouted in his best drill sergeant voice. Frank Jean, I, Jason Grace, Praetor of the 12th Legion, give you my final order. I resign my post and give you emergency field promotion to Praetor with the full powers of that rank. Take command of this Legion. Frank felt as if a door had opened somewhere in the House of Hades letting in a blast of fresh air that swept the tunnels. The arrow in his arm suddenly didn't matter. His bolts cleared. His eyesight sharpened. The voice of Mars and Ares spoke in his mind, strong and unified. Break them. Frank hardly recognized his own voice when he yelled, Legion, augment for Mar- format. Oh, I messed up the finale, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing so good. I was in the moment. Deadline, why? Yeah, it's a deadline for a <laughs> reason, guys.
0: Piper walking away with the comedy in that. My rank. The monsters are smelling gold. Gold. Thank you. I appreciated that.
1: All these monsters are rank. <laughs> I didn't get it until just now.
0: <laughs> it's like that couple seconds delay.
2: <laughs>
1: I didn't get it, but now I do. Okay.
0: <laughs> I love that. I love that. I, you know, I wasn't totally feeling the Jason power up before, but I think the whole point of Jason's arc is supposed to be yielding. It's supposed to be stepping back, realizing that he does not need to occupy this place of power because there are other qualified individuals who want to do so and will do a better job than him. And I really like, it feels right that the culmination of that arc and really the only time in this book that I have felt it viscerally and correctly is not from his perspective like he doesn't even tell the story of this he's just like literally in the background being like yeah you're right i'm not gonna do this you take over like to the person who's actually narrating and experiencing this and is like our slotted protagonist for the moment I'm really vibing with that. I don't know if I like the Frank arc in this book. I'm not gonna say anything new about it because unfortunately I think it is treading the same trajectory and we've already talked about it. I don't care for it. I don't feel that at any point in time we really needed a macho, destroy them, pulverize Asian man power up to become like a hulking linebacker of you know masculine destruction.
2: That's one way to put it. I will say though that Jason upgrading Frank was his only use. I quite liked this part of the glow up of Frank, you know, becoming a leader and coming into his own confidence. Probably the only part of the glow up that I enjoyed. Because everything else absolutely sucked out. This is what he needed. He needed the confidence in himself and also from other people. And to have it be Jason who he used to look up to, giving him that power and giving him that chance to, you know, be the leader that he know. That we know that he is capable of is significant, and that is why Jason is valid in that sense. Otherwise, screw him.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think that Jason yielding is so beautiful and satisfying in this moment. And I think that Frank finding the confidence from the person he used to look up to to step into this role that he's always dreamed of, but never thought he would ever do, is so satisfying. It's just unfortunate that it happens to be a position in the military where he's going to go on to murder big amounts of monsters after we just spent multiple chapters trying to be self-aware about what it means to murder random <laughs> monsters all over the place. I was like, really? The, the demigods on Earth, I mean, they're a few years younger. They have some time to catch up with <laughs> like, the consequences of their actions. It's like, but I'm happy. I much. guess,
0: they gotta go to Tartarus themselves, meet the RI, yeah. and then they will... <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm happy for Frank. Like, I'm glad that you are doing the thing that you wanted to do And I'm glad that Jason is taking a break. I just don't want you near me because I'm scared of you.
0: A little bit. Just a little bit. Just just a teeny bit. I I think that 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 seems like a fair tempering of it. Like somebody has to be in charge, I guess. Better Frank, I guess. But also, yeah, like I I don't. Am I having a great time? No, I'm also not. Would I want to be friends with this person? Also, no. (laughs) It is what it is.
2: because, (laughs) Because Frank used to be so hesitant in his role. As a leader, because he lacked so much confidence before, that's why I like him more as a leader. Because, you know, like that whole thing about Mm -hmm. like, oh, if you don't, you should put in the person in charge who doesn't want to be in charge because then they won't like take advantage of it. I like that idea. Mm -hmm. And that's why I prefer Frank in his um, role.
1: Yeah, totally. I think Frank is going to be a great leader. 100% 100% oh yes well Nico is very excited about this Nico D'Angelo was actually smiling that's more like it Nico said let's turn this tide he is stoked that they are finally winning this battle I love to see Nico smiling <laughs> just want to shout it out unfortunate Piper versus the Impausa moment nothing new <laughs>
2: oh, somebody
1: is like Piper use your charm speak on the Impausa and so Piper's like you got it babes and she turns to <laughs> she's like your makeup is smeared your friend called you ugly that one is making a face behind your back and it made me think about how we've been talking about the power of charm speak and like what an a-, a child of aphrodite is meant to do and clearly rick thinks that the power of aphrodite is misogyny and in this moment piper un- unleashes the magic of misogyny it's girl bossing so it's being
0: can- like i as no, I a powerful woman will use misogyny better than anybody else <laughs>
1: We need more women <laughs> using misogyny.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't you He's think thinking... it's about time for a female misogynist?
1: <laughs> that was literally what Rick was thinking, writing Piper.
0: It
2: was like you know, like that meme where it's like I connected the dots. <laughs> you need <didn't> connect shit. <laughs> you need connect shit,
0: Rick. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but also while we're having this conversation, I think in the past we've established that the charm speak works better. When someone is attracted to you, what are the implications of this? Are all of the impimpocide? Everyone thinks Piper actually... is hot. OK, I mean, Definitely. that's one explanation. just everyone likes Piper. The other explanation is that the impal side this whole time uh, like, are um, actually, uh, you know, like not strictly Dickly, and wouldn't that be delightful? We love that for them.
2: There were so many things you could have
0: said. Well I was like waiting to see where you would go with that. So many
2: adjectives (laughs) Erica and my face we were just like, go on, say it.
0: (laughs) Is sapphic the term I should be using? (laughs)
2: Sapphic. Women who are attracted
0: to women.
2: We'd love to see it.
0: I would like to learn more about the Impassai.
1: Me too. I I think
0: that would be a delightful follow-up work. Is there anything else to highlight about this?
1: Um, Everyone is really happy for Frank. Super happy. I think Piper's words are completely terrifying, but amazing. Yeah, that's where I'm at.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Did we forget to mention how they got split up? We did. At the beginning of this.
0: Do we not mention
1: that? They get split up at the start of this thing, and it actually ends up being Hazel and Leo on one side of this cave-in, and then Frank and... Jason, mm-hmm. Nico, and Piper. And so now they have to go find Hazel and Leo. Yes. Great. Beautiful. Good job, guys. Now on to the important part. Break. And then to the important part. We are back in the Annabeth POV, where every chapter is two pages long, but they are absolutely packed with the most delicious writing and the most delightful scenery and plot development. Probably
2: some of the best writing I've seen from Rick, in my opinion. Yeah. If I could, like, this is going to sound weird. If I could eat it, I know it would taste
0: beautiful.
1: (laughs) Mm. Should we start with some quotes? Should we just dive right in? Sure. Carter, do you want to read the start of these chapters?
0: Getting killed by Tartarus didn't seem like much of an honor. As Annabeth stared up at his dark, whirlpool face, she decided she'd rather die in some less memorable way, maybe falling down the stairs or going peacefully in her sleep at age 80 after a nice, quiet life with Percy. Yes, that sounded good.
2: (laughs) Oh, gosh. It's like, I was doing fine. I was doing so fine up until this moment where she's like, After a long, nice life with Percy, break my heart into a million pieces, and then step on it. Like, literally. (laughs) And like,
1: there's no hope in this moment.
0: There is not.
2: She's 17. She's 17. And she's just like, I've imagined this whole life with Percy. And then when they were in the river of misery, and she's like saying like, tell me about your plans. Then this is a callback to that. And I'm like, literally near tears right now. Like, they are the blueprint. This is why this podcast exists. This is why. <laughs> this is the moment. Yep,
1: you're completely right. The future they dream of together because of the past that they have shared together. Oof, to get them through the, like, tyranny of the present moment. Incredible. Timeless. Eternal. Persebeth is eternal. Um, <laughs> but it's hopeless, though, is the sad part. Next to her, Percy did something she'd never seen him do. He dropped his sword. It just fell out of his hand and hit the ground with a thud. Death mist no longer shrouded his face, but he still had the complexion of a corpse. Y'all, it's bad. It it is looking bad.
2: (laughs) The significance of this! Because Percy has always been seen as a hero who gets back up no matter what. And just, like, the significance, the symbolism of just dropping it, kind of giving in after all of this, after this entire, like, years upon years of all that the fates have just thrown at the two of them. And he just drops it.
0: But also... And
2: then Annabeth having to witness that? But it makes sense. What are they going to do?
1: Yeah, Percy has been mentioned multiple times in Annabeth's POV of being like, let's just get to the sword fighting. I'm sick of it. Let's just get to the sword fighting. Or like, when all else fails, let's get to the Mm -hmm. sword fighting. And Percy dropping his sword in this moment is like an oof. Also, again, if you think about it, if you linger on it, you think Riptide. You think, oh my god, the sword that he's had with him through this entire journey, everything that has happened with this one weapon, he fought Kronos with this weapon. And now he's standing here in the face of something so much larger and even more sinister, and he cannot even comprehend it.
2: And how, like, when you drop reptide accidentally, it's meant to come back to you. But it's like, will it come back to him? Because he's the one who purposely dropped it.
1: <gasps>
0: Whoa.
2: Hello?
1: Also, we're in Tartarus. What are the rules? We don't know. <laughs> what are the magic rules? <laughs> luckily, luckily, of course, we do have Bob. My beloved. And this is also a truly great... Interaction. We don't have to read like the whole thing. But,
0: but. we could. But we could
1: <laughs> let's do it. This is page 518. Bob roared in defiance. He charged and thrust his spear at Tartarus's chest. Before it could connect, Tartarus swatted Bob aside like he was a pesky insect. The Titan went sprawling. Why do you not disintegrate? Tartarus mused. You are nothing. You are even weaker than Creos and Harperion. I am Bob, Bob said. Tartarus hissed. What is that? What is Bob? I choose to be more than Iapetus, said the titan. You do not control me. I am not like my brothers. The collar of his coveralls bulged. Small Bob leaped out. The kitten landed on the ground in front of his master, then arched his back and hissed at the Lord of the Abyss. As Annabeth watched, Small Bob began to grow, his form flickering until the little kitten had become a full-sized, translucent, skeletal, saber-toothed tiger. Also, Bob announced, I have a good cat. (laughs)
2: oh gosh okay here we go another parallel I've talked about choosing your own fate and that was a big thing in the original series about how and yielding as well which we'll come back to a bit later and how Percy has to be like what is my fate you know like am I the hero and then he ends up choosing to be the hero of the Percy in order to save at the time it was Nico and he was saving Talia from it as well because he's like, no, I'm going to be the hero because I don't want anyone else to yeah. do it. Mm-hmm. Then Bob doing it now, who is you know typically seen as a villain and he's choosing to be pretty much the exact opposite of that. And you're not being the hero. You're not following the role that was originally foretold. This is a reach. But if you guys have seen this cartoon called Ever After High, <laughs> and it's basically- I've heard of it. It's, yeah so it's basically like fairy tale retellings and they basically have to find the storybook of legends where you are meant to fulfill your fairy tale role and the daughter of the evil queen from snow white doesn't want to sign it and so she's like no i want to actually you know either be a princess or be a hero and it kind of follows that same premise of being your own person and choosing what fate that you want to do because you know you are your own person you're not your parents you're not you're prophecy you're not whatever the fates say that you are you're you and just i love bob a
1: lot <laughs> i will destroy your happiness
0: if it is the last thing i do
1: <laughs> yeah oh yeah and once upon a time yeah true <laughs> that is so true But that's more of a question of i don't think we can change our fate and trying to shout out to
2: your podcast
1: (laughs) even though Bob has chosen this wonderful fate and we are like yes Bob rally for Bob things are still not looking great frankly while Bob is fending off Tartarus for now Percy and Annabeth like run to the elevator and Percy really tries to get Annabeth to get into the elevator (laughs) and Annabeth is absolutely not having it 521 she says you promised seaweed brain we would not get separated ever again he says you're impossible she says love you too And then this army of Cyclopses shows up and Annabeth is like, it just had to be (laughs) Cyclopses. Percy like bursts the river Phlegathon through the, Pimple surface of Tartarus? It's his it's like, it's
2: His, <laughs> his bloodstream pretty much is the river.
1: He's bloodbending Tartarus now? This ah! <laughs> hey Boy, he's too powerful. Also, the way that we just could have predicted, we all could have written this scene with Percy and Annabeth trying to be like, no, you get in the elevator. No, you get in the elevator. <laughs> like, yeah.
2: Oh, gosh, I might cry. Okay, so Bob is, you know, still fighting and he's still trying to convince Annabeth to go to the elevator. And Annabeth is saying that, like, no, like, you, we cannot fight him. Like, there is no way mm-hmm. we can. Because we're mortals, you know, we are literally less, lesser beings. And this is the part where, for the second time, we have to see Percy learn how to yield. And it comes back to what I was saying about choosing your fate and choosing the type of hero that you want to be and what legacy, you know, you're trying to leave. And after the Titan War, where he learns that he is the hero but not the hero that he thought he was going to be and luke has to give his life instead of percy or whatever not that i care about luke's life but eh. (laughs) yeah and how that first war taught percy all of these lessons about yielding and he has to go through all of it again but this time i feel like his relationship with bob is a lot closer uh, than luke's because it's a different type of relationship and dynamic and he has to go through all of it and watch it and be like, I literally, there's no way I can actually intervene in this sense. Because before he could with Kronos and with Luke, because that villainous relationship was a lot closer and it was a lot more personal. But this, there's no way he can get between this one. So he just has to let it happen.
0: I, I am emotional.
2: <laughs> and then what happens next?
0: There's like another critical moment where as... Bob is fighting and not doing so hot, and Percy and Annabeth have their little dance about who's going to go up in the elevator. There's this moment where both of them are like, yes, we cannot defeat Tartarus, we can't help, but they both decide that they're just going to like go and fight the monsters and neither of them are going to go up because neither of them is willing to go up without the other, but also because ugh, there's this leave. line about how they they don't want Bob to die alone. They're like, that is an undignified death for bob who has sacrificed so much for us like we will be beside bob doing what we can even though we know that we're all gonna die that i really appreciate that's giving like Camus or some shit wow wow should we read it
1: (laughs) yeah all right it says percy gripped annabeth's hand stay here i've got to help him percy you can't she croaked tartarus can't be fought not by us she knew she was right Tartarus was in a class by himself. He was more powerful than the gods or titans. Demigods were nothing to him. If Percy charged to help Bob, he would get squashed like an ant. But Annabeth also knew that Percy wouldn't listen. He couldn't leave Bob to die alone. That just wasn't him. And that was one of the many reasons she loved him, even if he was an Olympian-sized pain in the podex. We'll go together, Annabeth decided, knowing this would be their final battle. If they stepped away from the doors, they would never leave Tartarus. At least they would die fighting side by side.
2: I think I have tears in my eyes. I have I
1: have tears in my eyes. <sighs> Knowing that he won't listen and that that's why she loves him.
2: We all need a moment, I think. <laughs>
1: I think we're all feeling a little bit <laughs> emotional.
2: <laughs> we'll go together, parallel. Marta Bettina, hello we're staying together, you're never getting away from me ever again. As long as we're together, I could quote the ending of
0: that book.
1: They were serious because for them to be separated at this point, they're not going to do that.
0: I love them. It really contains everything. It's the insolence. It's the togetherness. It is the mutual understanding. It's this sense of duty and not duty to a system, but in this situation, such a specific interpersonal sense of commitment and obligation. That is so, mm, it, it's such a perfect synthesis of all of the feelings and themes and ideas that have just been coursing through. You know, it, it's about taking responsibility. It's about, the, 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 <laughs> I need to stop. I need to stop. But like.
1: Well, also partnership. Partnership.
0: Partnership. Partnership.
1: You know, as someone who walks around, as many of us do, being like, codependency is bad, and like we should never be codependent, (laughs) and like especially as young people, we need to avoid being codependent on others. Frankly, what is one of the beautiful things about human life and humanity is... Is
2: meeting each other.
1: Is the connection with other people, and finding those kind of codependent connections with people is the meaning of life. At least that's what Ender's Game taught me. Fuck Orson Scott Card. We don't, we don't love this. But like, do you know what I mean? The bonds between yes, humans yes. are what make life worth living. And finding a partnership like this—that is truly a partnership where two people function as one unit—is fucking beautiful. Sorry for swearing. I have.
2: I wrote a thing. I was like, let's not talk about the reasoning why I wrote it. But I wrote a thing one time. And it was literally about the belonging between humanity and like the impact and the importance of connecting with each other. And I'm trying to find. Oh, here we go. I'm just going to read a-, a little portion of it. Please do. Um, As humans at our core, the best thing we know how to do is loving. We love with every inch of our being and with every atom of our body. Why? Because we know that it will end. Okay, that's a little bit existential. Sure. Mm-hmm. It is that stupid willingness to get hurt that also shows the importance of human connection and that need to belong is to be human. Just as loving things with our entire being is what being a human is all about, it is the creation of relationships with ourselves, others, and other beings that are what keeps humans alive. We are not a species made for isolation, and that is why when we are most sad, we retreat into ourselves and feel that we need to be alone when we really need to be with other people in order to help us and each other and something
1: like that damn listening to you say that just made gave me a bit of a self-therapizing moment um, <laughs> I think I
2: write I write in order to go through therapy honestly I'll, I'll add it to the show notes <laughs> so that people Please can see do. that oh
1: good <laughs> I don't know I I think that maybe a lot of us who are a bit heavy on the persibeth standing are maybe people who fear vulnerability in a way that would ever allow us to be in a kind of relationship like this um, that was so codependent so like I think that there's a craving and a longing there for something that feels so intangible that we all want but are ultimately very scared of uh, <laughs> I don't know just food for thought. <laughs>
0: It's true. I mean, Listeners. like this moment encapsulates all of. I would not say toxicity because that doesn't really apply here. But you could make an argument that they are making an irrational choice. That there's like a fucking Burns ass going on. Where like you know somebody should escape. Somebody should try and live. But also, oh, but <laughs> but also what? that's not the correct. And for choice. what? Like that doesn't make why. sense. It is not, like, given the context of this and the histories that these people have with each other, that just would not be, like, an ethical approach to the situation. It doesn't make sense. And, like, I feel like the fact of that tension is really scary and not something that is just light or should be looked at without feeling the fear that is involved in this. Yes. I think the the fear and the potential for toxicity, like, riding the edge of it is so important to what is accomplished in this passage you know (laughs) of
1: course no one in real life we do not advocate for 17 year olds to dually sacrifice themselves for one another (laughs) because they can't go on living without each other but this is a heightened story about demigods who have been through a lot together and they already had to live without each other and it was miserable for both of them and that was before they went through something extremely traumatizing together and now they are not going to voluntarily be separated
0: and this is the thing it's like it's not like we're talking about Romeo and Juliet we're talking about like Thelma and Louise you know like I feel like the comparison groups are just like it's...
1: Timon and Pumbaa whoa Thelma whoa. and Louise <laughs> Percy and Annabeth
2: the blueprints
1: they've been through it all the holy trinity Lilo and Stitch sorry Lilo and Stitch <laughs> Nani and David I'm sorry that's my last one <laughs>
0: None of these are even my favorite ship from Lilo and Stitch, which is obviously Pleakley um, and Jamba. And Jamba. <laughs> that is a queer relationship,
2: uh, aren't they all? Huh?
0: Did you see the image of um? There, there was like this tweet about like Lilo and Stitch Thanksgiving, where all the quote tweets were really angry people being like, "What the Pleakley would not dress that way to Thanksgiving. Pleakley would have a beautiful <laughs> wig. In. Fuck you. Pleakley would be going to the store for a new custom human hair pink wig." <laughs> to go also, with a nice new Carter start. and
1: Erica going for Halloween as Pleakley and Jamba would be iconic. <laughs> and it's not not our relationship dynamic. Oh my god! Six to six. Okay. <laughs> that being said um domison shows up
0: Um uh... <laughs> that's a regularly scheduled program uh, i think we got to read a small tangent of this do it. when domison is announced we get an alarm we get monsters flying annabeth is grinning annabeth understands what's going on but the line that really gets me is that before they mention domison's name they say quote the maionian dracon spread its frilled collar and hissed its poison breath filling the battlefield with the smell of pine and ginger. It's the dragon! Not that no one else has ever done this type of story before, but wow, wow, the writing, the pacing. It's the
1: senses for me. It's engaging our sense of smell.
0: Yes, pine. The imagery. The fact that the dragon smells like pine and ginger and so we know it. The fact that Annabeth sees the dragon and she immediately understands what has happened. And the fact that it happened, the fact that like the resolution of the story is almost too simple. Almost too profound. Annabeth
1: Chase, I took your advice. I chose myself a new fate. Ah! (gasps) That is exactly what it (laughs) says. Annabeth is out here changing hearts, changing minds, changing lives. That's my girl. And you know what I appreciate about that? (laughs) You know what I appreciate about
2: that? Is that she's typically seen as someone who is very stoic and not very emotional. We see that she's like very closed off. But we see in this book... this specifically that like she's the one reaching out she's the one putting that arm out saying help me help us like it's not percy percy you know people usually say like percy's the heart annabeth is the head no 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 no. it's balanced balanced. (laughs) they have their moments moments. that's why they're perfect that's why they're perfect because they balance each other out when percy can't annabeth is there and she knows she knows what to do like annabeth i would give my life for you I'd give my life a plus of best period, but, like, Adam and Chase. Oh,
1: I'd give it all for you.
0: Not the Jason Robert Brown! Please!
1: You put it in the play. List. I
0: did, and I don't regret it. I mean, anyway. Alright.
1: Oh. Suckers, it's time. We have to read the ending of this chapter, so...
0: So yeah, Domison comes in, Tartarus is like, blah, 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 my son is a disgrace, but we're fighting. Um,
1: not only did Domison show up, he showed up to showdown against his father. His dad! His son father battle? who has always hated him!
0: Oh,
2: nice to know that Immortals invented daddy issues. True. Truly.
0: What what we're looking at before this <laughs> is that Bob is like very grievously injured. He was not a suitable match against Tartarus. But, (laughs) in spite of all of these things, Percy and Annabeth are trying to like pull Bob along with them, but Bob is like, no, I'm going to press the button, I'm going to hold the doors for you. Bob, don't, Percy said, his eyes pleading. He'll destroy you permanently. No coming back, no regeneration. Bob shrugged. Who knows what will be? You must go now. Tartarus is right about one thing. We cannot defeat him. We can only buy you time. The doors tried to close on Annabeth's foot. Twelve minutes, said the Titan. I can give you that. Percy, hold the doors. Annabeth jumped and threw her arms around the titan's neck. She kissed his cheek, her eyes so full of tears she couldn't see straight. Bob's stubbly face smelled of cleaning supplies, fresh lemony furniture polish and Murphy oil wood soap. Monsters are eternal, she told him, trying to keep herself from sobbing. We will remember you and Domison as heroes, as the best titan and the best giant. We'll tell our children. We'll keep the story alive. Someday you will regenerate. Bob
2: ruffled her hair. Small lines crinkled around his eyes. That is good. Until then, my friend, tell the sun and stars hello for me and be strong. This may not be the last sacrifice you must make to stop Jaya. He pushed her away gently. No more time. Go. Annabeth grabbed Percy's arm. She dragged him into the elevator car. She had one last glimpse of the Maeonian Draken shaking an ogre like a sock puppet, Dimation jabbing at Tartarus's legs. The god of the pit pointed at the doors of death and yelled, Monsters! Stop them. Small Bob the tooth crouched and snarled, ready for action. Bob winked at Annabeth. Hold the doors closed on your side, he said. They will resist your passage. Hold them. The panel split shut. It is the way, tell the sun and stars hello for me. I want to be my first tattoo. Do like it. That is the significance that this book, that this line, Has for me, and I'm getting it on Percy's birthday. That is how much of a nerd I will be about this. Like I'll do it next year on Percy's birthday. Like I'm that much of a. I'll do it. (laughs)
1: Like I'll do. I'll do it. Don't even test me. Don't even. (laughs) Also, just structurally, the way that that's not where the POV ends. That we then enter into the elevator. There's more.
2: There's more.
1: It's like have this moment of awful, awful like silence where the doors just close and, and it's not calm because they have to be physically like pushing the doors together. Annabeth is like, Percy, snap out of it. Like, help me keep the doors closed. But they are just like, they're heartbroken.
2: Frozen. Like they're literally yes. frozen. Like it's like a visceral pain. Like they cannot move. Oh my God. It's
0: such a perfect way to, to tell the story of loss and trauma that they're experiencing in this moment because it's so critical to the experience that they aren't resting afterwards, that there's more for them to do, that this whole point of, All of this is to give them more time to do things that will be more painful for them.
1: And you got, guys, 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 it's the way, guys. The elevator's easy listening music didn't help if all monsters had to hear that song about liking pina coladas and getting caught in the rain. No wonder they were in the mood for carnage when they reached the mortal world. Think about the first time Percy was in that elevator hearing that music in the lightning thief on his way. (laughs) to olympus and now they're here
2: and it was about his fate as well wasn't it like to see if he would be smited
1: or not it's also just so funny like it's so funny <laughs> yeah, that it's laughing in the face so- of death funny <laughs> it's so percy jackson Oh, I so much all right i think i'm gonna do a little should bit we of read for this Annabeth. yeah yeah all right we left bob and damason percy croaked they'll die for us and we just i know she murmured Gods of Olympus Percy, I know. Annabeth was almost glad for the job of keeping the doors closed. The terror racing through her heart at least kept her from dissolving into misery. Abandoning Domison and Bob had been the hardest thing she'd ever done. For years at Camp Halfblood, she had chafed as other campers went on quests while she stayed behind. She watched as others gained glory or failed and didn't come back. Since she was seven years old, she had thought, "'Why don't I get to prove my skills?' why can't I lead a quest? Now she realized that the hardest test for a child of Athena wasn't leading a quest or facing death in combat. It was making the strategic choice to step back, to let someone else take the brunt of the danger, especially when that person was your friend. She had to face the fact that she couldn't protect everyone she loved. She couldn't solve every problem. I don't
2: even know what to say. (laughs) It's right there. Yeah, there's nothing more else to say except, gosh, I want to hug her. I want to give her a hug. I want to hug them and be like, it's okay. Because like I read, we majority of us, I would say, like read this either younger or like at the same age. And now rereading it as I'm older, oh my gosh, they are so young. And she's like, since she was seven? Oh my God.
1: Since she was seven, like, this is all.
2: She's wanted, yeah.
1: Just hearing that in her voice, like, we've never heard that from her before. Like, we knew about it. We knew that she wanted a quest. And when Percy got to camp, she was pissed that it wasn't going to be her quest anymore. <laughs> and that she was waiting for this opportunity to prove herself. But we've never heard her say it, like, directly. Like, I always wanted to be a hero.
2: My grand plan. Literally. <laughs> that's, I mean,
1: that is Robert Kiki took straight from this moment. Like,
2: he <laughs> understood the assignment he understood these he lines he knew all
1: along like she's always wanted to be hero. the beauty of a girl being able to say that <laughs> being like i am the main character annabeth knew she was the main character
2: like she i know what i deserve
1: yeah but then also for me it's the especially if they're your friend line because coming from annabeth who can't trust anyone you know making a friend like a real friend who you yeah. are vulnerable with and who you put trust in and then Having, having to, to them? let them trust you, yeah, and having to leave them is brutal.
2: God, it's brutal out here.
0: Yeah. Something about the highlighting of age and all of this is really, to your point, like so important in thinking about the way that she is reacting to this because of the like parental nature of this relationship that she was developing with these two Uncles. Gunkles.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Filling the void. Yeah. She's filling the void. <laughs> It colors their respective decisions and burdens so much more to think about the way that she has struggled, specifically not just to make friends, but trust that anyone is looking out for her. That there are forces more powerful than her that are actually trying to protect her and look on her side, have her interests in mind. And the fact that this is how she has to, that this is how those relationships are ending for her is so.
2: It's like not the entire weight of the sky is not all on her shoulders. Reference to to curse, anyone?
0: Yes. Mm -hmm.
2: She has held that. She's held that weight. And so she knows that, like, this isn't my role to play in my life. My role is somewhere else, even though this is where I feel like I deserve or I need to be. You know, it's funny. I'm looking at her outline. (laughs) The last note is... (laughs) that and then there's like say it <laughs> so <laughs> there's a moment where they're obviously just just talking and then percy just like is completely quiet i don't think he's even said a word throughout this since the beginning and then he just says i will kill Drya he muttered i will tear her apart with my bare hands and my note for that was okay Kind of hot. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, Mr. Percy I think we have in. to keep
0: reading what comes after that. Do it, Carter. Read it. Annabeth nodded, but she was thinking about Tartarus's boast. He could not be killed. Neither could Gaia. Against such power, even titans and giants were hopelessly outmatched. Demigods stood no chance. She also remembered Bob's warning. This may not be the last sacrifice you must make to stop Gaia. She felt that truth deep in her bones. It's it's so rich that like Percy really is. Lying to himself to get through this, and Annabeth is not. Annabeth is presently processing everything.
2: And I think this is how that this is how Percy processes things. So he has always been like, okay, like as you guys said before, like he was always like, okay, when is it time for the sword fighting? You know, let me let me Kiss at up them. His sword. Yep. Yeah, let me fight them because this is how he. This is how he was raised. He was twelve. This literally raised to be some, like, assassin, in a sense. I don't know, that's not the right word. But, like, he was trained to be a soldier. Soldier, pretty much.
1: Yeah, a weapon.
2: Oh, yeah, exactly. And it's like, this is how he knows how to cope with things when things are taken away from him. He's like, I will find them, and I will destroy them. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: And then, whereas for Annabelle, she's a lot more strategic in her sense. Like, she's like, okay, I know we can't fight them alone. We need to do this. We need to look at the prophecy and see what comes
1: next okay let's see how far we've come playlist yeah come through (laughs) she's like let's get through this moment 12 minutes she murmured just 12 minutes she prayed to athena that bob could hold the up button that long she prayed for strength and wisdom she wondered what they would find once they reached the top of the elevator ride if their friends weren't there controlling the other side we can do this percy said we have to yeah annabeth said yeah we do they held the doors shut as the elevator shuttered and the music played while somewhere below them, a titan and a giant sacrificed their lives for their escape. She prays. Percy is like, I'm going to murder these motherfuckers with my bare hand. And Annabeth is like, I'm going to pray for strength and wisdom. But going the significance of
2: that phase, is because, like, she hated her mother. She's been hating on, on as she should, on Athena for so long because of the entire Margaritina quest. But the fact that she just comes back down and she's like, Athena, help me. Because I don't have anything else. Help me.
0: Help us. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And that's the end of that section.
1: And then we have one final episode of The House of Hades. I pray for strength and wisdom. Just 12 <laughs> minutes of time. Think about the elders who have sacrificed for me to charge into just another painful battle. Maybe a little bit more well equipped <laughs> than I was ten minutes ago. Yeah,
0: that's real. That's real.
1: Thank you, Caitlin.
2: Thank you for letting me be here.
1: Every time you're here, we just <laughs> cry.
2: <laughs> I choose these moments very, very carefully.
1: <laughs> I would say like this, and then the Tartarus fall are like the real greatest moments of all time. Yeah, I would so like. As well. These are the reason we do this podcast. <laughs> yes. What a treat. An honor to be here. Tell the people where to find you on social media.
2: You can find me at Persebeth Fields Fandom on Instagram. And um, you can also find me at Lot underscore also on Instagram, which is where I talk about books and stuff. But if you want fan fiction, you'll probably find it on Persebeth Fields Fandom.
1: That's me. Amen. <laughs> See you guys next time for the finale of the greatest book in the Riordan verse, *The House of Hades*.
0: Bye yeah. all.